Hey there, film fans. Brandon Champion, co-host of the Second Day Film Podcast here. Just wanted to give a brief spoiler warning. When we get into our featured review of Adrift, we don't really have a non-spoiler section. Um, so if you haven't seen that movie, uh, you might want to go check it out before coming and listening to the featured review. Uh, but we appreciate you checking us out and enjoy the show. of June. It is 12.45 in the morning. We've uh, we've made some adjustments to fit some schedules, uh, particularly mine, and we've got a late night recording, but we didn't want to miss a week. Um, you know, So we're happy to be with you. I've got the popcorn correspondent making his return after a week off. You missed Solo, but you're back for a drift. A drift. A drift. You excited yep. to be back for this one? I drifted back. Yeah, I'm excited. It was a good flick. A uh... You know, I'm I'm sad I had to take a week off, but you know, sometimes uh, life gets in the way unexpectedly, and um, we fight through it, and we find our way back to uh, where we got to be. Back to each other, right, Brandon Champion? I'm feeling good, man. Usually, I make fun of you a little bit for not knowing the date. I wouldn't blame you right now, though, I considering know. like it literally changed as we were heading back from the theater. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a late <laughs> night for us, and you know, guys, uh, not. A lot of huge releases this week. We're actually at a lull point, um, but I'm going on vacation uh, soon here, so I'm going to miss a couple weeks. So we wanted to have a pod with all three of us on it. And so today we're going to be, uh, t- it's kind of a, a romance theme movie guy. Like the candles, bust out the rose petals, put on the Mozart. It's getting hot in here, boys. I know. So we obviously we did a oh, horror-themed pod we did a comedy-themed pod, and we thought, you know, hey, hashtag no genre bias. We're going to do a romance-themed pod. So today we're doing Power Rankings, our favorite romance films after 1990. And, okay, so let's preface this a little bit, Champ. We're talking films that have, you know, under IMDb's listing, romance is one of its listings. It's, we're not talking, like, sappy, sleepless in Seattle here. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're basically, uh, we were trying to narrow it down. It's We're kind of going for, like, movies that are romance-driven. Like, the sort of plot is about, you know, a couple getting along and navigating the winding road of love. That's right. And Adrift, our, our featured review today, and that's kind of an action-adventure survival flick, but at the center of it's a love story. So uh, we've got a whole lot of love coming at you today. From the SDFP. Before we do that, we would like you to give us some love, right guys? Yeah, tell us what you love. Tell us what movies you love. Tell us what movies you hate. Do that on Facebook at the Second Day Film Podcast. Do it on SoundCloud, iTunes, Twitter. Email us at gmail.com at Second Day Film. Uh, anywhere that you can do social media, type in the Second Day Film Cl- Podcast and give us some love, some love so we can give you some love. And you know, we do have business cards, obviously, the 9.55 showing of a drift on a Tuesday uh, evening. Not a ton of people at Celebration Cinema South, but... 10.30, uh, I couldn't even get a soda. Yeah, Bought my ticket at 9.55 and down. they shut it down. So hopefully <laughs> we can start to see some films a little bit earlier and pass out some of those business cards. But we appreciate the love uh, nonetheless. Alright guys, let's get it started with Power Rankings, favorite uh, romance films after 1990. I'm going to start with you, Corn. What, what do you got for number three on your list? I had to go with one that, uh, you know, I watched a while back. It, it, it dates back a little bit, but it's Love and Basketball. Um, just a big basketball fan. I just love the plot of, you know, um, these two growing up together. You know, they kind of felt, you know, that the, the extra, like, um, competitiveness in them kind of brought them together. Um, as the movie goes on, you know, um, things happen. People go their separate ways, but, you know, it was just that one thing that really draw, brought them back together, and that was basketball. And, um, you know, it's just it's funny how, like, a sport with the uh, the competitive nature, but, you know, so much of wanting to see one succeed and be better. They both want to go to the NBA, WNBA, NBA, yeah. and um, they do. It's, it's nice, and then they, they, they find each other back. The the male in the film, he, he has a tough time with his father. Um, a lot of uh, family issues, so she kind of, you know, eases him through that, but it always comes down to 
well, let's play one-on-one for it. Hmm. And yeah. I, I like that. I like that. And uh, it was a good movie. Yeah, I mean, it didn't make my list. But, uh, you know, obviously it explores the idea of, you know, relationships through one big shared interest. It explores the idea of, you know, do they love each other more than they love basketball? Yeah. They're willing to go for their dream at the expense of their relationship. Uh, yeah, it was an interesting film. Didn't mm-hmm. make my list, though. Uh, my number three, I'll just jump right into that because I have not seen Love and Basketball. Okay. Uh, my number three wow. is from 2013, and it's a film called Her. And this film is directed by huh. Spike Jones. This was nominated for uh, five Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, Best Original Score, Best Original Song, and Best Production Design. It won for Jones' screenplay. It was his first actual independent screenplay. Plot summary from IMDb, in a near future, a lonely writer develops an unlikely relationship with an operating system designed to meet his every need. Uh, So as you can tell by that plot summary, this is sort of a wacky, goofy movie that is in fact a romance story, but it's about a love between a lonely man played by Joaquin Phoenix and a machine, Hmm. sort of an iOS-like system that is voiced by Scarlett Johansson. So we have an odd concept Ooh, here. Anybody could fall in love with that. Exactly. <laughs> it's an odd concept here, but what I think this movie does is it has some really interesting ideas on humans and the relationships we right. have with our machines. Uh, this film takes place in a time when human relationships with AIs are somewhat standard. Um, so like people aren't weirded out by the fact that this guy's in a relationship with basically his iPhone. But it still feels odd for a contemporary audience to be watching this play out. So when does it take place? It's just in the near future. Okay. Obviously, we don't, you know, take it this far to where we literally have, like, a sexual relationship with our machine, like Joaquin Phoenix does in the film with Samantha. Um, But we, as humans, are sort of addicted to our machines. We carry them around in our pockets. Um, And in a way, our, our cell phones replace human interaction and assist us in our sort of artificial quest for attention, interaction, and companionship. Um, Scarlett Johansson is perfectly cast as Samantha. She has the sexy, sultry, bubbly voice, and you can kind of see why Joaquin Phoenix would fall into her sort of traps. Uh, the movie takes a nice turn at the end, and I, like I said, it had, I think it has a lot to say about human relationships. It's just a clever film. Uh, the score helps to convey a message of loneliness and logging. Uh, it's just it's really interesting yet unconventional type love story, and that's that's what I like, right? I like movies that break free of the genre they were sort of made in. Absolutely. Have you seen her? Sam? I haven't seen her. Um, I've heard a lot about her. Yeah. Um, it makes me really, really skeptical to change the voice of Siri on my phone now. So. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it either. But obviously, it's got social commentary. Just, I mean, it's not even subtle. Yeah. It's just in your face. Hey. This might be what happens someday because of how obsessed we are with technology and how the the limited face-to-face contact is changing the way that people interact with each other. Yeah, I mean, Apple maybe should look into getting Scarlett Johansson into voicing Siri. I bet you they'd be onto something there. So, just a cap, didn't make my list. All right, well, hey, number three on my list is The Great Gatsby. And this was a 2014 film... Based on the legendary novel of the same name by F. Scott Fitzgerald, directed by Boz Lerman and starring Leonardo DiCaprio as Jay Gatsby, Carrie Mulligan as Daisy, Joel Edgerton as Tom, and Toby McGuire as Nick Carraway, our narrator. And this is, to be clear, the second film adaptation of this book. And this was actually a split among critics, uh, which is surprising given the stars involved and given how popular and well-known the story is. Many thought that this film was all style and no substance. Uh, well, that may be true, I think, to a degree. I disagreed a little bit. I thought that there were some powerful and moving moments in this film. I thought Leo was just brilliant as the super ultra-charismatic yet you know, personally tortured Jay Gatsby. He's a man whose true love has eluded him for so long and, as we see, continues to uh, elude him. But yes, what makes this film great is how different it is visually. It won two Oscars for costume design and production design, and it is flashy, stylish, fun. The music's awesome. It really shows the big celebrations of Roaring Twenties New York City. The way the film is shot, the way it's edited, the effects involved, it is a visual stunner. In a way, it feels so modern, yet the dialogue is so old-fashioned and true to the novel. 
not everyone liked The Great Gatsby, at least the 2014 film, but I certainly did, guys. Yeah, I mean, the production design, like you said, is definitely the key point. And sort of like the F. Scott Fitzgerald book, which is one of my favorite books, it transports you to New York mm -hmm. and sort of West Egg and East Egg and this unique sort of part of New York during that time period. I think the movie New money, old money. Right, you know, the eyes are constantly, I forget the guy's name, but yeah. it's the eyes of... Uh, the guy the, are always the, yeah, showing and watching you on the billboard. You know, it's, it's just really memorable from that standpoint. Yeah, how about you? Have you seen The Great Gatsby, the 2014 version? Who stars in that movie? It's Leo. Of oh, course. okay. So, yeah, I've definitely seen that movie. Uh, read the book as well. Yeah. Uh, it's number two on my list, so okay. I can make my list. It's uh, Great Gatsby is, you know, it was at the time one of my favorite movies with with Leo. I don't know, I think you hit it right on the nose about everything that Leo faces when it comes to Daisy. How he's always, you know, chasing her. Yeah, he's built and, up his whole he, life, his, yeah, his, his money to attract Daisy and to build a life for her. Who plays the guy, the Nick? Who plays oh, yeah, Toby Tobey Maguire. Maguire. He's the narrator, and, yeah. yeah. Exactly, like the narrator of the story and how he chases it around and how everything's like moving fast-paced and then oh, slows yeah. down. I don't know, I just thought it was filmed really well. It's a very fast-paced film. There were obviously uh, several scenes that you'll notice where they're driving in cars from East Egg and West Egg to the city through uh, kind of the, the slums, if you will, where where the doctors, the eyes are always watching everybody. P.J. Ackleberg. That's, that's it. it. That's right. Um, yeah, uh, so obviously uh, The Great Gatsby, big for both you and I, Sam. Correct. Uh, let's jump to your number two then, Champ. Uh, my number two film is from 2007. It's called Atonement, directed by Joe Wright. Uh, this movie was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, Art Direction, Cinematography, Costume Design, Original Score, Best Picture, and Best Supporting Actress for Sayorse Ronan when she was just 12 years old. This is kind of where she burst onto the scene. Obviously, we know now she's going on to bigger and better things and will continue to be. Uh, actually, she's one of the rising stars in Hollywood right now, I would say. Uh, the plot summary from IMDb, fledgling writer Brioni Tallis as a 13-year-old, irrevocably changes the course of several lives when she accuses her older sister's lover of a crime he did not commit. Um, so this is one of the many uh, Kira Knightley period pieces, um, but it's, it's her best one, in my opinion. Uh, it's a really compelling story that sort of does a wonderful job of conveying the effect and consequences one decision can have and how it can alter the lives of anyone associated with, like, one specific choice. Uh, this movie is littered with, like, incredible performances from Ronan, Kira Knightley. Robbie Turner is played by uh, James McAvoy. He does a wonderful job. And it's set against the backdrop from the 1930s and moves forward six decades. Um, the music by Dario Marinelli does a great job of sort of capturing the mood of the story in different time periods and sort of enhancing the subtle tragedies that occur in the film. Um, there's a lot of themes in this. Jealousy, social class, regret loss of innocence, all these things are very real and complex ideas that resonate with everyone. Um, you know, if we go back and think about it, we've all likely made decisions we regret, and if you can, if you really go back and think about the harm and lasting impact that one decision may have had, it can be sort of an eye-opening, reflective experience for someone. Um, the film gets you really thinking along those lines. Again, it's not a traditional romance or drama even, and honestly, it's more of a film about the loss of bliss and romance, but again, you know, there's really unique and complicated human relationships at its core, and I think it's a really compelling movie. Yeah, I've not seen Atonement. Obviously, I've heard a ton of good things about it. Sam, you haven't seen it mm -hmm. either. Definitely no. one that we'll have to put on our list. My mm -hmm. number two, guys, is a film from 2008, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Oh, okay. This film is based on a short story by, guess who? F. Scott Fitzgerald. Uh, directed by David Fincher, starring Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett. The film was a massive success at the box office, also with the Academy, garnering 13 Oscar nominations at 1-3. Brad Pitt did not win. Uh, he was nominated for Best Actor. He didn't win, but I would argue this is his finest performance in what's been a long and successful acting career. I haven't seen the film in quite some time, so I'm doing another showing, but you know we talk about epic films. Champ talked about Braveheart last week on the pod. Benjamin Button is an epic release. It follows the life of Benjamin Button, played by Brad Pitt, who's born an old man and who ages backwards. Obviously, this is a technical and visual marvel. The special effects, as it pertains to Benjamin Button, are incredible. The way that they transform Brad Pitt using technology, 
um, to a smaller, old, wrinkly man. It's it's stunning, and it's really convincing. And I'm sure there was a huge budget spent on doing that. As you can imagine, major themes of this film are time, age, life, death, and also identity. We follow Benjamin Button from his birth, and I think it's 1918, to death, which happens during the time Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, just a few years after the new millennium. He's an underdog. He wasn't expected to live long given his medical condition. His mother dies while giving birth, and his father also abandons him. But along his journey, incredible journey, and this is a long movie, it's a three-hour journey, uh, you, you would imagine that a, a major focus is who he surrounds himself with, uh, the people he meets, the interactions with those around him, the condition, how it impacts his life, and how at times he struggles to fit in. Those are all themes. Of course, at the heart of the film, given it's a romance, is his relationship with... Uh, it's another Daisy, isn't it? Just, yeah, I just wanted to make sure I had that exact same name. So F. Scott Fitzgerald used the same name for a female in two of his more popular works. So yeah, Kate Blanchett plays Daisy. Uh, it's truly a unique love story because when Benjamin Button is old, she's just a kid and they have a friendship. When Benjamin is a baby, just months before he dies, she's an old woman holding him in her arms. Uh, but there's that time when they meet in the middle and they develop a romance and... Again, a major theme is how we live our life, the opportunities we take, and those we miss. And the end quote as the film closes and the water from Hurricane Katrina pours in on this top clock that's ticking backwards, kind of symbolic of Benjamin Button. There's a quote that he says, and it's I'll read it. He says, For what it's worth, it's never too late, or in my case, too early, to be whoever you want to be. There's no time limit. Stop whenever you want. You can change or stay the same. There are no rules to this thing. We can make the best or the worst of it. I hope you make the best of it. And it continues on for a little while longer. But I just thought this was a really interesting look at life, death, and uh, how we live. It's Agreed, yeah. A long time ago. Uh, but it, when it first came out, I think I saw it in theaters. I agree it's really long, and I, I remember it dragging in some certain parts, uh, maybe with like the stuff with Tilda Swinton and yeah, some of the some stuff of the at the end, it was it was a little bit long, I thought. Um, but I agree, it's visually stunning, and we go from multiple landscapes, whether it's Louisiana in the 1800s or uh, World, War II. World War II, ships out on the water. Yeah. I mean, Katrina at the end. This is a sweeping, swooping film, and uh, I agree, it was very well done, especially from a technical standpoint. And Brad Pitt's great, and Blanchett as well. I kind of went like I, I sat back about it a little bit and I was like romance you know what ways and do you, you love people you know and like what is a romance so everyone knows those romances like the Titanic notebook there's broke, countless examples. Brokeback oh, yeah. Mountain. But, uh, <laughs> romance comes in many forms. Exactly. So I just I, talked about a romance between a dude and a machine. So, yeah, exactly. Right? It's, exactly. It's out there. There's a, there's a lot of things. So I kind of wanted to go. It, it's a movie I really liked, and I don't know how popular it really was. So I really wanted to like propose this idea into the sense it doesn't it doesn't say romance okay. in, the, in the IMDb. But um, I, I like The Intern with Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway. And the reason I have to, like, give me a minute to explain is that Ben, who's Robert De Niro, is an old man who retires. He doesn't really have his loved one at home anymore. So what does he do? He found that he loved his job so much, he built a romance with a job, that he went and took an internship as a senior advisor for this online fashion online store. He sits back in kind of like the uh, the shadows of the whole operation, you know, because and watches the owner, who's Jules Austin, Austin or Austin or however you pronounce it, and um, casted by Anne Hathaway, and he she watches her lifestyle as it unfolds about how much she loves her job, but then she neglects her family at home. So with a young daughter and her husband, who he doesn't feel the same kind of love, kind of starts to slip away in the cracks and you know, maybe test the waters of a sense of cheating. But then the way Ben was able to, Robert De Niro, bring them back together is say, hey, you guys need to focus on yourself. Take some time off. This job will always be there for you. And I feel like that love is what kind of sparked a romance of, you know, sometimes we indulge so much into our work that we really forget, you know, how to love or that maybe we don't have enough time for love. And Robert De Niro really, Ben, really brought it back to earth and says, listen, put work second, love your family, but you have to work to provide for your family. 
but just remember your family's not always going to be there and this job yeah. will be. So I really, I, I, I kind of went a different route with it, but bit of a curveball. Yeah. yeah that's it, all was, right. it was nothing you would hit, but it's like a, uh, if you gave me 500 <laughs> guesses to pick a film that Sam was going to have for his number one romance, I would, I, none, none of those 500 would have been the internship. That's okay. It's the intern. Mm-hmm. Oh, the intern. There's a big difference. Oh, internship. That's one another of my one of your comedies. favorite movies. Sam going outside the box a little bit, but that is a common theme in movies. Is you know we often see those characters that are so in love with their work and their job, and they think they're doing the right thing for their family, but really they need to yeah, focus lose. their attention in another yeah. way. I mean, that's, it's an interesting take on it. I don't know if I'd call it romance per se, but it, you know. I get what you're going have for. Have you seen there. the movie? Yeah. No, I've not, but I get what you're going for. Yeah, have I've you seen, seen it, though? I mean, it was pretty cool. forgettable, in my opinion. That's just me. Um, right. No, look, I... I, I De- let's just clarify <laughs> disclaimers. Look, Dean does not agree with anything I do. No, and, that's not true. And throws shade at me in any way so I'm possible. Not, I'm not trying to throw shade. Especially if it comes to fantasy. Do you want me... I can't lie about it. I think De Niro, in his old age, he's going for these weird roles where it just doesn't play well to De Niro's strengths, guys. He was so typecast in the 70s, right, 80s, yeah. and 90s, and now he's in, like, Bad Grandpa and The Intern? I don't know. Well, seven, Sam, 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb, and a 51% is what you guys meta score, so, you know, it's, okay. it's uh, you're not alone in liking yeah. it. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I'm going to jump to my number one. <laughs> Let's do it. Sam just mentioned it. Um, it's Titanic, directed by James Cameron. Um, yes, I know it's boring, but this movie was nominated for 14 Academy Awards yeah. and tied All About Eve in 1950 for the most Oscar nominations in history. Maybe the most epic film of all time. It won kidding. 11 awards, including Best Picture, yeah. Best Director, um, and sure. so, uh, you know, everyone knows the story. A 17-year-old uh, aristocrat falls in love with a kind but poor artist aboard the luxurious, ill-fated RMS Titanic. I mean, like I said, it felt a little lame to put this as my number one because it's Titanic, Everyone knows it, but sometimes the movie really is just that good. Um, The idea that Cameron had to sort of illustrate the tragic loss of life through a fictional romance, this is something that could have gone very badly if it wasn't done right. See something like Pearl Harbor. Um, But because we get so attached to Jack and Rose and they're brought to life beautifully in star-making turns uh, by Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, I think it really, really works. Um, I love the idea of sort of a cross-class relationship aboard a luxury liner. Um, People are fascinated by the Titanic itself, how it sunk. Um, It's captivating. I love how the film sort of tapped into that with the bumpers that take place in modern time, and it's told through a flashback narrative. really adds to the sense of loss, I think. Um, I like how James Cameron mixed in in real-life characters that were actually on the Titanic, made it feel more real and palpable. Um, there's some accuracy in how the thing actually sunk. You can tell that James Cameron spent a whole lot of time, you know, on this, and we know this from, uh, you know, his interest in shipwrecks, which we covered on an episode in the past. Um, My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. In my opinion, I think it might be the greatest song ever produced for a motion picture. Um, It's majestic, heartfelt, moving as it comes in and out in the film. From a technical standpoint, um, considering much of this used scale models and revolutionist CGI for the time, it's amazing. I think it still holds up today. It has cultural relevance still. You know, the hand on the window type thing. The, you know, hanging off the front of the boat. The I'll never let go. Yeah, I'll never let go. I'll never, I'll never let, let go. go. People say that all yeah, the time. Let go. You know, it has its detractors, but I think it's a remarkable achievement and really what a love story for the Main Street audience should be. I mean, it's yeah. been 83 years. I mean, yeah, Titanic, look, if I'm being honest, it's probably two or three on my list. I knew you were going to mention it, Champ, so I wanted to give some other films a run. But it is just an absolute epic film. It was 97. You said it. This is when Leo, who's my favorite actor, his star soared after this movie. Right. This film I remember getting run in theaters for like four, five months, guys. I mean, it was just an epic film, and you know, the, like you said, the songs that that you know that that particular song that when you hear that you think of Titanic. Uh, it just it, it's one of those movies that has stood the test of time. It's a two VHS tape de- box set, dude. <laughs> yeah, like, I it's mean, long. I mean, it's I'm, long. It's, it's but I mean, it doesn't bore you. Like no. I've always said, my testament of movies is how intrigued are you and how. How much of it doesn't grab my attention? Titanic, the storyline is great. I mean, he gambles his way onto the old the ship, 
the old sailor him. Big mistake, and, Jack. Big yeah, mistake. You know, but brilliant but, performance. But what a way! It, it kind of relates to a drift in a sense that maybe he's like the the girl, and he's like, I'm gonna take a chance, and I'm gonna go on this boat, and I'm gonna just flip and roll. Well, actually, there are some parallels there for sure. Yeah. Two things that I wanted that I've always wondered though. Why couldn't Jack and Rose take turns on the door? That was one thing I always wondered. And so we're led to believe at the end she has this wonderful long life with another husband that she meets after this. But when at the end, you know, little slight spoilers for Titanic, but it's been out for a yeah, while. You're good. When she goes and sees him back on the Titanic at the end, where's her husband that she spent her entire life with? He's just chopped liver. We're just going to see this guy she had a fling with for a couple couple nights on the Titanic. Maybe he's like a butler or something. I don't know. I, just, I always just thought that was kind of like... So Ah, a little bit, but I get it. You got you to have this story. You got to end it. Like, yeah, I mean, they, uh, I guess the, the criticisms are it's a little unbelievable, <laughs> cheesy, corny. But you know what? Sometimes those these big budget films embrace that. And they just say, so what? We're going to be cheesy and corny. I love how they cast Gloria Stewart on IMDb as Old Rose. She's the lady at the beginning that tells like the story, but on IMDb, yeah, but like, Old Rose. But like I said, I love those bumpers, how they sort of tie oh, into yeah. the modern yeah. day. And, and, I read in, and I read in some of my research on this and some of the special features I've watched on Titanic is that boat that they filmed those on sort of served as like a base of operations for when they were making the movie. Oh, no Obviously, they're filming out in open ocean and whatnot. So didn't, Cameron actually was living and working on that boat as he was working on Titanic. Didn't he go... This might be, I don't know if this is a fluke or not, but didn't he like, try to dive to the Titanic or send something down to like get actual footage of the Titanic? Those are, that is footage. Of so it. yeah, that's what I, so he yeah. did throw, because he did something prior to filming where he went and actually saw the Titanic and I'm going to assume interviewed people that actually were on the Titanic that survived. Oh yeah, I mean like we said in a previous episode, James Cameron had dove to the bottom of the deepest place on earth we talked about that one time yeah, so like he's always that. had this interest in shipwrecks in the ocean and what's in the deep so well, clearly a passion project wh when that lady's sitting there you know explaining to and the guy's like trying to get the story out of her like just well what do you remember i can just see james cameron or that being james cameron to any kind of shipwreck or anything like that of someone that survived and he's just like you got to give me more. You it's true. Give me it's more. true. That's a good point. James Cameron actually probably could have played that character in the movie Easily. asking about this. Yeah, I mean, look, he, he was, you know, he invested fully in this huge project. It's one of the best films of the 90s. I don't think a whole lot more needs to be said. All right, guys, now it's time to get to my number one film from 2004, Garden State. This is one of my favorite films of all time, written by, directed by, uh, its directorial debut, and starring Zach Braff. It's actually based on his real-life experiences. This also stars Natalie Portman, Peter Sarsgaard, and Ian Holm. Braff stars as Andrew, a mostly failed Hollywood actor who's been, he's been heavily medicated since a young age after he pushed his mother at the age of eight or nine, and he accidentally paralyzed her. So his mother dies in this story. He returns to New Jersey, Garden State. He stops taking his medication that he's been on, several medications he's been on his whole life, and that's really where this film picks up. Uh, early on in this film, Braff runs into a bunch of old friends or acquaintances from high school. Some successful, others not so much. And those side characters really help to add humor to this film. It's a quirky film, a ton of dry humor in particular scattered throughout. Not belly laugh kind of jokes, but the kind that make you smile or chuckle a little bit constantly throughout. So eventually Braff meets Sam, played by Natalie Portman, that's when the film really takes off. They fall hard and fast, and despite their shortcomings, uh, she still lives at home, he's a failed actor, they embrace each other, and they show each other their true nature in just a matter of days. The film only spans a few days. Eventually, uh, Andrew has to make the decision to either go back to his life in L.A. to, quote, uh, figure himself out, or start over with Sam and without any plan. What I love about this film are the themes and the messages throughout. We see how strained family relationships can have a major impact on one's life and carry on, particularly the relationship between Andrew and his father, who's actually his psychiatrist, who actually put him on the medication in the first place, to which Andrew harbors a ton of anger towards his father. Uh, there's a lot said in this film about love and how that means accepting and embracing someone for who they are, despite issues or baggage that they may carry. It's a true coming-of-age story of Andrew. Without his medication, he's able to go on this emotional journey and take all the viewers along for the ride. 
for any 20-something or maybe even early 30-something who feels like they're kind of meandering through life without purpose, this film shows that happiness oftentimes is not about what we've accomplished or what we've done, but it's about the people in our lives and the moments that we share with them. And lastly, what ties this film together, without a doubt, is its soundtrack. This is my favorite film soundtrack of all time. Braff actually won a Grammy for Best Compilation Soundtrack. Songs from Coldplay, The Shins, Simon and Garfunkel, and a closing song titled Let Go that brings the final scene together. Like I said, it's a quirky indie film with a budget of just $2.5 It made a killing versus the, the actual expense, and that soundtrack just fits perfectly. So that's Garden State. That's my favorite romance film of all time. All right, guys, so let's run through that list one more time, our favorite romance films after 1990. Sam, give us your three-to-one here. Love and Basketball, The Great Gatsby, and The Intern. My number three was Her from 2013. My number two was Atonement from 2007. And my number one romance film of all time was Titanic from 1997. My number three was The Great Gatsby, the 2014 release. Number two was The Curious Case of Benjamin Button from 2008. And number one, Garden State from 2004. All right, guys, now it's time to get to our featured review. It's the action-adventure survival flick, Adrift. So why Tahiti? What were you here? I want to chase adventures. Hello, who's this guy? She has a way like a cold. What's it like selling out there all alone? You're either sleep deprived or seasick, and after a few days, there's hallucinations. Why do you do it? It's a feeling I can't describe. It's for you and infinite horizon. How would you like to sail the Hosanna to California first? What do you think? I think 4,000 miles is insane. I'm not going anywhere without you. Come sail with me. So this is really a love story at its core, hence the romance theme today. This is directed by Baltazar Cormacor, probably butchered that, starring Shailene Woodley as Tammy and Sam Claflin as Richard Sharp. These are really the only two credits I need to give because they're really the only two characters in the film. And I'll give you the IMDb plot right from the page here. Based on the true story of survival, a young couple's chance encounter leads them first to love and then on the adventure of a lifetime as they face one of the most catastrophic hurricanes in recorded history. This film is based on the book written by Tammy Oldham called Red Sky in Morning, a true story of love, loss, and survival at sea. Um, this is a true story, as they'll tell us right when the uh, film comes on the uh, screen there. And yeah, not really any other characters except for the two. It's really up to those two to carry the entire story. Um, you know, for the most part, I, I like the chemistry between the two leads. I thought it was pretty solid. They're both charming and likable, sort of uh, free spirit drifters. And then, like you said, it's a chance meeting in Tahiti. Um, Shailene Woodley has this sort of cute charm to her. She's constantly, like, laughing in the movie. I think, like, half of her spoken lines in the movie are just a quick chuckle. Um, you know, uh, despite the fact that half of this movie takes place under sort of dire circumstances, um, I thought a real strength of this movie was the sort of cinematography and how it was shot, whether we're in, like, Tahiti in this wonderful tropical paradise or in the open ocean. There's some beautiful scanning shots of the horizon, of sunsets, um, all captured wonderfully from above and below. Yeah, I thought it was it was all right. There were some really pretty shots as they're out on mm -hmm. open sea and the, the sun is either setting or the sun is rising. Uh, oftentimes we see the beauty of the ocean despite the circumstances they're in. That's a pretty, I think, intentional contrast. Um, but let me ask you this, guys. This was an hour and 36 minutes, and probably an hour and a half when you cut the end credits. Yet it felt really long to me, especially the first hour. It seemed to almost crawl by at a snail's pace. The filmmakers, as we know with the story structure, they used flashbacks throughout to try to break up that. They also used flashbacks to build the relationship between the two after, you know, their shipwrecked. We were kind of going back and forth. So the film starts and they're, they're shipwrecked and then we go and see flashbacks to kind of their relationship, how they got to that point. What did you guys think about it? Did it seem really 
long or the pace? Did it seem a little slow to you at times? To me, I don't. I wouldn't say it felt slow to me. I thought the film moved along pretty briskly, but I will say that structurally, I wasn't sure about it. With the with the sort of flashing back and forth, it it felt a bit awkward at times. Um, you know, I felt it. Sometimes it's felt distracting as well to me. Uh, you know, basically we have two timelines going. You know, we we jump back and forth from where they're meeting and when they're actually out on the water. And we jump back and forth so much that sometimes it's hard to get into any one moment. You know, whether it's them developing their relationship in Tahiti or them, you know, in this fight for survival. Um, you know, I, I think it's somewhat interesting that this film is called Adrift because uh, at times I felt like the plot was adrift a little bit, wading back and forth with no clear direction. Yeah, what did you think yeah. about it, Sam? I mean, I thought it was filmed all right with the uh, like locations, um, the 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 I mean, the beautiful areas. Tahiti's got to be gorgeous, you know. Some of the places they found. Um, I agree with you guys too about like it being like a drag. It felt like you know the anchor was down. We could have probably pulled it up a little bit. Um, We're killing it with the boat puns right yeah, now. Yeah, just a boatload of puns. You know, I but I like the flick. Um, you I, did like I it. mean, okay. yeah, I, 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 I liked it. It was a cool story. You know, it made me think. It, it kind of caught into the feels a little bit. So I liked the, the scene where, you know, they're out on a shipwreck. Well, she is, and they did the whole drone footage going back away, and they just kind of opened up to, like, I mean, honestly, I'll be honest with you. One of my biggest fears is drowning. And to be on a boat in the middle of the ocean with who knows what's in our ocean it freaks me out. So just to have, when they did that shot, it just really brought into like my mind like, wow, she's not kidding. There's nothing around her. Yeah, the movie does a good job sort of <clears throat> capturing the expanse of the ocean, and that's what I it's was huge. going back to with the cinematography. And I agree with you, Sam. I think we've talked about it on previous pods. Is deep, dark ocean water. It really does a good job, I think, uh, with some of the underwater shots, some of the big sweeping overhead shots, of really giving you a sense of like, oh shit, they're in the middle of the ocean. They have, they're have, they kind of screwed here. And really makes the ocean feel terrifying, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Oh, very much so. Yeah, I think it, it did well to kind of build the atmosphere and, and what they're dealing with. But I gotta say, guys, for the most part, this was a miss for me. I thought there were a few touching moments but for the most part it failed to consistently draw me in obviously a film like this is so reliant on powerful performances and there's such little plots so few of characters that you rely on those two leads to really be captivating the acting i wouldn't say it was bad but it definitely didn't do enough for me given the limitations of the story i kind of think uh, when i think back on films like this it's different but it's similar castaway tom hanks He's somebody who, you know, has to survive in these dire situation and circumstances, for the most part, all alone. And, you know, that film just addressed some of those issues so much better. It addressed your mental state in a really unique way. I thought, obviously, the last half hour brought some more intrigue. There's a major twist that adds to the story. I feel like that really adds meaning to the story. Mm -hmm. I feel like that makes a little more sense of the flashbacks that we've seen. I didn't see it coming. What about you guys? I, I thought that was a big plus after what I thought was a disappointing first hour. I did not see the twist coming either. I actually agree that that added a lot to the film for me because, um, you know, despite this sort of unique narrative structure of jumping back and forth through time, really this is a pretty run-of-the-mill survival story that we've yeah, seen in films like Castaway. We've seen in films, you know, The Perfect Storm came to mind. Uh, uh, open Water. And, uh, open Water. There's the movie... Uh, um, unbreakable about the World mm -hmm. War II soldier that came out a few years ago. So these sort of surviving in the ocean type flicks, we've seen them plenty of times before. Yeah, guys, obviously both of our characters here, they're free spirits sailing the open sea. There's a little bit of dialogue and a few glimpses mm -hmm. in the flashbacks that helped explain how they've become that way. But look, I thought given that the film centered on just two characters, shouldn't we have learned more about them over the right. course of a film? Not just through dialogue, but also through how they react in situations. I just felt like, and you said it, Champ, there were a lot of inconsequential flashbacks. There were a lot of conversations that seemed to add very little to the story or very little to the plot or even very little to their relationship. Well, I will push back a little bit on there because I do think there is some dialogue where, you know, they're talking about their somewhat troubled childhoods yeah, and growing up and maybe yeah. why they're off gallivanting globe trotting around the world and if you think about it this is sort of an 
seems like an idiotic endeavor to try and sail from Tahiti to San Diego in a boat like this. Um, but I, but I do think that in some of that dialogue, they show why the characters would be willing to do something like this. They're somewhat damaged goods. They're really just are living for themselves. They're free spirit mm-hmm. types that quote, go where the wind takes them. Yeah. So you could maybe see why people like this would be willing to take on something like this. And I, I agree that I know, obviously I, I heard those conversations, but I, I, to my earlier point, I felt like we didn't see much of that until the last half hour. There were there were a lot of that. There, well, there was a lot of that that was really saved for the last half hour. Um, you know, I, I I think at times the the film felt it was a bit strange to me. It felt like they almost had to manufacture action and suspense to build the pace. Tammy at one point gets caught up in a broken sail, and it's like pump up the music and this is a dramatic scene and it's like oh you ever been under a cover no i'm not saying that it's not justified but you know she spends a lot of that first part talking to herself i didn't do anything for me i thought it was just kind of trying to fill dead air more than anything else but look ultimately we talked about that last half hour i enjoyed the end part of the film well i mean how how much excitement can you get for being on a boat for 44 days by yourself yeah it's a certain type of film and i think you really have to and, you know... I think it requires a ma- masterful performance from the actors right, involved, true. and I didn't get that. I agree that the performances were a little bit lacking. Like I said in the beginning, it's more like a charming performance than a sort of great performance. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's definitely, you know, like Tom Hanks carries the movie. Transformative. He transforms in that film. Yeah. I, I was surprised that the actual wreck took so long to get to. Me too. We don't get to see that until, like, the last... 15, 20 minutes. You know, I thought it would happen way, way earlier in the movie. Obviously, that has to do with the sort of strange structure of the movie. I do think when we finally got to see the wreck, it was shot really well. You felt like you were there in the waves. And like I said, I think cinematography, production design are, are a strong point in this movie. The underwater shots in general are sort of haunting. When we see uh, Richard die is is pretty chilling and, and mm-hmm. feels very graphic. Um, it, like I said, it really gave you the feeling of being in the ocean, open ocean with nothing to help you. Yeah, and obviously, um, like I said, I also enjoyed the end part of the film. We finally see the sailboats capsized and Obviously, we learned the twist that he died the day the sailboat capsized. So, Tammy's been illusions took Tammy over. has yeah. Tammy's been adrift by herself without him there for forty some days. I thought the twist worked really well. I thought obviously the filmmakers made a conscientious choice to have Richard there physically for an hour, and I think it was the best way to metaphorically show that the only reason she survived is because of the inspiration and the memories she had of him. I also think it helped explain why they use flashbacks so frequently, because he's not there. It didn't make the first hour less boring for me, but I think it did help explain why they did what they did, and, and it was the strongest point of the film. I, I really wish they would have focused more on, too, on how she came up with, like, the calculations of, you know, longitude, latitude. Um, you know, she did a decent job, but she kind of joked with Richard about, and, it, you know, he kind of made that, now that you know the twist, you can you can do anything if you put your mind to it. Yeah. It, it it made sense more when we found out the twist as to why he said it like that, um, and like why she goes, why are you making me do this? Shouldn't you be doing it? Because she even said before she wasn't that much of a sailor, but then Richard kept you know um, building her up by saying, you know you're more you're a better sailor than you think. Remember she couldn't kill the fish. She finally gets one. Um, she knew what she had to do to survive. And so when she really put her mind to it, she really dug down deep and was able to figure out a way to... She made the you know the conscious decision to go to Hawaii rather than San Diego. That was adding 500 more miles, and when we think about it, alone. She yeah. had no one else to... Do you guys... Well, hold up. Before you say that, because it's right along these lines, if you think back to all the things that happened in that middle portion, you know, uh, her eating the peanut butter on her fingers and how yeah. that felt so awkward when it was actually happening, at least I felt it was. Yeah. But if you think about, you know, she's hallucinating all this, you know... Um, uh, you know, the majestic sunset when they're talking about the colors, you know, yep. if you think back at a bit in context, context, she's doing all this stuff by herself, you know, uh, right. actually the movie so Atonement. she's arguing I, with herself. Right, yeah, but it, she's living on through the memory of this guy. And so some of the things she's doing by herself in the middle portion of the movie, while it felt kind of weird and dreamlike and whatever in the middle and it felt awkward to me, once the twist was revealed, I think that it, it felt right. It worked. Yeah, I yeah, know. I agree. And... For me, like I said, it's too bad because 
I felt like that first hour was really slow and at times boring. And then, oh, the twist hits and it makes sense. But it doesn't take away that it did feel awkward and it did feel strange when mm-hmm. we were seeing it for the first time. I guess my one question is, do you think that she was just full on hallucinating? Or do you think that she was kind of intentionally trying to keep his That's memory where... alive to get through? Because, you know, the real story, she says, hey, he helped me. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if she actually was hallucinating and seeing him there in the true story. Yeah, I mean, I think if we re- if one of us read the book, there's probably a lot more yeah. insight into what her psyche was. But we saw the newspaper clipping at the end that said, Richard kept me alive. So yeah. to me, that says this was a conscientious decision for her to, like, yeah. remember him and use his memory and keep him there and that she's going to survive not just for her, but for both of them. And, you know, we see at the end, she says, I have to let you go now, Richard. And that's when we find the twist that she's like, okay, I have to stop pretending you're here. I have, if I want to do this, I have to get myself out of this. But, you know, it wasn't until 30, 40 days in that she was willing to do that. Yeah. And that's why I thought, hey, maybe she, you know, this really wasn't just a full on hallucination. That's kind of. Well, I'll be honest with you. When, When she said that and you see her like stand up and Richard's not on that bed she made for him, like. I was like, what, what did he do? Did he jump in the water and just, like, off himself? Like, I really thought that, like, through the whole time. I'm like, where the hell's Richard? Like, someone, you know, like, phone Richard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had no idea where he went. And, and that brought up another point, too. Like, um, when I said about shooting the fish, she never really ran into anything too tragic when it came to bigger fish. Yeah. Like, every time she jumped in the water, I mean, we've all seen Jaws. You know, like, I don't know, I just, I guess I don't know what the middle of the Pacific's actually like, but I mean, I've watched Deep Blue Sea, Open Water. The Shallows with Blake Lively. Exactly. A couple years ago. She was bleeding pretty badly, jumping in the water, and they sensed that from miles and miles away. Well, the filmmaker... Or a big, big whale. Well, the filmmakers say in the beginning, it doesn't say based on a true story, it says a true story. So, to me, that says... They're not going to add these sort of, you know, cinematic things like we're going to have a shark attack, we're going to make her sleep on a whale. They're just going to go with the straight story. They're going. But does exactly that mean she happened. like made it? Like, I mean, I think that's pretty amazing that she didn't run into any scenarios well, the, the like fact that. that. She survived this is an incredible feat. Yeah, there were some things that raised my eyebrows a little bit. Even something as little as her discovering alcohol and cigars. Eighteen days in, you've yeah. been on a boat with nothing else but a boat for 18 days and you're discovering new things underneath the boat? You'd think you would have taken inventory by now. Part of that, I think, though, is a little bit of a messy script. There were times in the beginning of the movie when... Uh, when they're first proposed with this idea, to, they're taking their friend's boat back to San Diego. And at first she's like, no, I don't want to do that. And then, like, the next scene, she's totally down with it. I was also writing thinking, her mother. Yeah, I mean, there, there was a couple messy parts with the, with the sort of narrative. Um, did you guys also notice that in the beginning of the movie, when she was hadn't had this ordeal or anything, to me it sort of looked like she was sunburned or windburned or something, and it was sort of like they were shooting the survival scenes, and they couldn't quite clean her up enough to hmm. go to do the scenes before then, and that's just sort of like a meta like production thing, but... If you go back and watch the beginning, it almost looks like she they, the makeup artist didn't quite get the get the uh, scarred and bruised Shailene Woodley ready for the pretty sitting on a boat Shailene Woodley. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I didn't really notice that. But... I noticed it a couple times, okay. and to me that just says lack of attention was... to detail, and that's something that drives me nuts. Well, especially when you're well, going back and forth so often in a film. Yeah, you, I, I, you could see how that would be plausible, though, yeah, if you're going sure. back and forth and not shooting in order. Yeah. How, oh, crap, we don't have continuity here. She's still messed up Shailene, not pretty Shailene. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I thought it was a little, uh, that we didn't get to follow her little journey a little bit too much either when she she shows up to customs and says, well, what's your occupation? Whatever's going to pay the bills, you know. What is she, a deckhand? Is that pretty much basically? What she did? I mean, she was a she was a cook on a boat, but yeah, I mean that was part of my criticism. Is I felt like, okay, fine, we don't know much about them going in. We literally jump in with the boat being capsized. That's the first scene. Yeah. But beyond that, you know, okay, they're probably going to build up these characters and add a little depth to them and show why they are the way that they are. And they did a little bit in the last half hour, but there was a lot that happened in the middle where I didn't feel like it added much. Basically, all we're supposed to know is that they're free spirits, they met each other, it felt right, and now they're going to go forward with their lives. Anyways, let's go forward with our lives, too. Let's wrap this thing up. Sam, why don't you uh, give us your uh, final say here? Final say? uh, This one's going to be hard to rank, rank for me, I think, because 
it's a it's a true story and the feat that she overcame i don't want to do her any wrongdoing by giving it you know like i mean the film filmmakers maybe you know tarnished it a bit with production like we've said poor plot um maybe not having such a thrilling story even though it might have not been that exhilarating um i'd go with a six though because i would watch it again i would like to see it again kind of just to just to see how everything takes place and I would say if you see it twice, you miss things that you didn't see in the beginning, you know. And and I and like I said, I I thought it was decent. I love the story, and I mean she's an incredible woman, very strong, very strong willed. I agree that this movie you probably would benefit from a second viewing because knowing the twist, yeah. you're probably going to watch it through a different lens, and maybe some of those middle scenes that you know maybe Evan you thought dragged a little bit or didn't quite fit within the narrative, maybe they would work a little bit better right. knowing what was going to happen. Um, I enjoyed the movie for the most part. Uh, it was a quick hour and a half for me. It didn't really seem to drag. Like I said, I think Sam Claflin and, and Shailene Woodley give a sort of charming, uh, fun performance for the type of movie it was, but not great performances. Yeah. And I do agree that in a movie like this, you kind of do need great performances to carry it. This movie looks great. I love the, the sweeping shots of the ocean, the underwater mm. camera work. The wreck, I think, is shot really well, and I think you feel like you're there. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a fun movie to look at. Um, it's one of those grinded out, you know, muckfest survival stories. Um, it's not a great one. It's something we've seen before. I don't know if it adds a whole lot to the genre, but I think it's enough to recommend. I gave it a six as well. Yeah, obviously, guys, I, uh, you know, I kind of had to put two parts together. I, I really kind of ended up lumping the first hour or so into one category and the second half hour. You know, I, I think there's that big moment with the twist, and I think that, it, it helped, it benefited the, the, the scenes before it, um, but at the end of the day, while you're watching those scenes leading up to it, you, you don't know what's going to happen. So part of it was a big miss for me. This was obviously a really, in my opinion, a kind of a slow build to actually get to some action or get to some dialogue or get to some depth. It was hard for me to be engaged at times. Again, the last half hour salvaged it a little bit, but uh, ultimately I was a little lower than you guys. I gave it a 5 out of 10, which seemed a little generous well there you have it folks follow us find us greet us capsize us capsize us i don't know what i mean don't to, don't capsize us we don't want don't, that don't captivize us either, it, whatever the i had to throw was. one in there because i only messed up one name today I'm yeah sure. but if you are of gianni versace <laughs> but if you are a drifting around the internet uh, feel free to give sure. us a like on Facebook. There's boatloads of ways to follow us. On Twitter. Uh, anchor down and listen to SoundCloud and uh, iTunes and give us a rating and review. We just want to interact. Send a pigeon. With yeah, send a, send a pigeon that's too far away from land. Okay, we're going off the rails here. It's about 2 a.m. It's time for us to go to bed. Yeah. Uh, we're going to, you know, pods, um, me and Sam might have to come back in. with a two-man pod uh, either one of the next two weeks. Evan's going on vacation, so... Uh, Is there anything on the docket? Do we know of anything? Oh, there's some big releases. Oh, yeah, we've got, like we said last week, Jurassic World's coming out, Mission Impossible's Ooh. coming out, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Hereditary's uh, coming out this coming week. That's something for you. So, lots of good movies, lots of good flicks <laughs> to check yeah. out. In the meantime, feel free to check us out on social media. That's right. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you at the movie.